Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Today on the Scott Thompson Show on 900 CHML. All right, uh, Premier Doug Ford just finished his daily news conference uh, an hour earlier this uh, today, rather, instead of 1 o'clock at uh, 12 o'clock. So it switched things around for us here just a little bit. But we want to play you some uh, highlights, some clips of the Premier talking about changes to testing protocol. Listen. We're investing over $1 billion in expanded testing and contact tracing. That's a billion dollars to support testing, and this investment will make a huge difference. But until we get Health Canada's approval for new rapid tests, rapid testing that other jurisdictions are currently using, the health experts are telling us that we need to be more strategic with testing. Starting today, they are asking people to only get a test if you have COVID-19 symptoms, have been exposed to a confirmed case, are a resident or work in a setting that has COVID outbreak, or a resident or work in an at-risk setting such as long-term care homes, shelter, healthcare. Folks, I want to reassure you, no one who needs a test will be turned away. There's a billion dollars on the table for testing. That's a thousand more staff supporting contact tracing, $30 million to fight outbreaks, and $70 million for the largest flu vaccine campaign in Canadian history. All right, that's Premier Doug Ford talking about changes to protocol and testing. It's it's bizarre. I mean, at one time he was begging people to get tested because nobody was going, and then all of a sudden once numbers started creeping up, blammo, uh, in the last uh, a couple of weeks, all of a sudden uh, lineups have grown, and uh, obviously the need to be nimble and to get all these tests uh, processed and results uh, given back, of course, it, it's taxing the system. Now they're asking you if uh, you have been exposed or showing symptoms or need to have it for a situation in which uh, you're working or so on and so forth, then obviously, but uh, if you're not really showing any signs and have real no reason to get a test, uh, asking you to hold back on that. All right. Uh, also on that note, as uh, obviously lineups and demand for testing has just shot up in the last uh, few days and such, the last couple of weeks, uh, uh, I guess more and more municipalities are moving to an online booking system so they can make sure that they get people through as effectively and as efficiently as possible. Again, in areas where there is no uh, you know, need for testing, I guess people were standing around and doing nothing. Now, obviously, they're trying to make more efficient use of the time, making sure everyone has an appointment so they can get you in and out and try to hopefully avoid those really long lineups, uh, especially as pharmacies uh, get into uh, testing, which is coming up uh, this Friday, I believe. Let's bring in Dr. Tammy Packer, Chief Departments of Family Medicine, Hamilton Health Sciences, uh, and this is also St. Joe's Healthcare. And in regard to online booking and how in Hamilton you actually get a test. Doctor, thank you for the time. Hope you're doing well. I'm okay. <laughs> so how, how are you feeling about where we are right now? It is a whirlwind and continues to change hourly, it feels, for most of us. Um, I, I think pieces are starting to come together, but we're going to have some rocky days ahead of us. 
So uh, at one time there was, uh, I guess, uh, you know, uh, uh, not that many interested in testing. We remember during certain uh, hot spots where people were were avoiding testing. Now, I guess, as numbers creeped up and anxieties creeped up, uh, the demand for for testing is up. There's some new protocol. Uh, we're going back to those who uh, need a, a test specifically uh, to get one. Tell us about the change in protocol. So the changes uh, happened this morning. I have to confess I'm on call today and I was seeing patients. So I saw the changes all of about 12 minutes ago, although there was some foreshadowing yesterday. So I think we all had a sense that this was coming. Um, The key changes are that, uh, according to our premier, effective immediately, we should only be testing and directing folks to testing centers who have overt COVID-19 symptoms. Um, those, as you said, who've been exposed to a confirmed case of the virus. So that's somebody who has been tested and the COVID test has been positive. And as a consequence of that, public health has traced the contacts and you as a contact have received notification from public health um, or through the COVID alert app that you, in fact, need to go get tested. And as well, folks who are residents or work in a setting that has a defined outbreak where the local public health unit is involved. Uh, there's a smaller group um, testing as part of, part of a targeted initiative directed by the Ministry of Health or Long-Term Care, and there's a few of those around, but but the bigger group that we're really trying to focus on, as we would with any illness, is those who are really sick. Uh, what about those that, so obviously those that have symptoms, those that are, have been exposed or, or know of someone that has been uh, in a situation where they have been exposed, what about those who need tests, for example, to visit family in seniors' homes, something like that? Is that considered so, uh, essential? So that, is, that is that last group of the right. targeted testing initiative defined by the ministry. So what there is still room for that? There is still room for that. I think what we're we're slowly digesting the information. What there won't be room for are the the group of folks that I think we all either have been in this position or we know folks who have who get invited to a cottage and just want to make sure that their bubble's a clean bubble or perhaps have booked a a last-minute vacation to the Caribbean and want to be tested to board the plane. That's what we're no longer going to be able to provide. Okay, so those that have symptoms, those that have exposed, those that need to uh, need a test to function in some form uh, that is essential. How do we get tested in Hamilton now if someone out there wants a test and does fall into these categories? So we've just sort of upended our process as of about 7.30 this morning. Um, the assessment and testing program in Hamilton is a very collaborative venture. Um, supported by, as you mentioned, Hamilton Health Sciences, St. Joe's, Hamilton Public Health, Good Shepherd Services, our regional paramedic services, our family health teams, and our Hamilton family docs. So it's, it's quite an umbrella of individuals who've been working together since March trying to make this all happen. Uh, we had been working primarily as a phone booking system, and we flipped this morning with an emphasis on online booking, and that work's been supported by St. Joe's. And I have to add, shout out to the team, that's all been accomplished in the last four and a half nights and days. Um, So folks go online, um, you go to www.hamiltoncovidtest.ca and it takes you through some questions and an online booking form and you receive an email confirming your location and time. Uh, Any idea how long it would take to get a test once uh, an appointment is booked? And I'm sure this is fluid as well. It is totally fluid, and it's probably, you know, this is what we're 
You mentioned everybody's anxious. We're anxious and apprehensive as well. Um, we know that uh, when we opened the lines around 7.30 this morning, the online booking, until about half an hour ago, 900 folks booked in that four-hour period. Uh, so we know that the system works and we know that the demand is hot, and some of that demand was before the Premier's release. Uh, when we did the cutover late last night, uh, there wasn't a whole lot of booking available for asymptomatic folks. And remember that we're now going to be having to address on a go-forward basis what, how we adjust our booking templates. So if you are sick and really need a test, we did have spaces available within the same day next day, and that was when we opened this morning. I can't speak to where those spots are. But for those who truly need testing, we should be able to accommodate by the end of the weekend. Uh, many are asking why now an appointment when before you could just drive up and wait in line. Yeah, I think that's a really good and important question. Um, driving and waiting in a line when the lines are now two to three, you know, two thirds, three quarters of our volume. If I use the St. Joe's East End site as an example, that site when we first opened in March, I worked the first night and we thought we were heroes because I think we saw about 120 people. Hmm. Tuesday night, they saw 450. Wow. And that's in the space of six hours, and, and we're really stretched on staff everywhere. If you see 450 and 300 of those folks are walk-ins, for the folks that are working, every time they look up, they just see a throng of people. People that are close to one another, it's hard to maintain physical distancing. People, some of whom may be contagious. People who have frailty and may not do well standing in a line. So it's really a matter of mayhem. And we felt that we can manage efficiently um, and actually look after more people if we could go to an organized booking system. So that's why. It's just, it's just better and easier, more efficient to manage large groups of people the way you've had to in the last few days. Totally. And we can structure in terms of, you know, at the back end of this, we can look right. at who comes when and, and put high priority groups at a specific time. Um, and for your staff, if you're running an operation, it's really, really hard to ask people to come to work day in and day out and, and mm -hmm. particularly at night, not knowing what they're going to see or when they're going to finish. So what advice do you have uh, for the public, Tammy, that's obviously feeling the anxiety and, and now uh, obviously a, a restructure in the testing? Um, what advice do you have for, for those listening in? So I was thinking about this. I think that, you know, the advice that we struggle with is really that COVID has, has really forced us to look at things in a different sort of way. It's not about the individual, it's about this community, it's about Hamilton, it's about yourself and your neighbour. So part of when you're thinking about, gee, I might want a test or perhaps I could use a test, we need to choose wisely right now about who's getting those tests. And we go back to those basic premises of if there's somebody out there that is probably sicker than you and needs it more because they're frail or because they're on chemotherapy or because they're elderly, then we need to make room for them right now and we need to think about one another, as trite as that sounds. We need to keep each other safe because that's the only way we can function as a community. Um, and I guess the other thing that I would think about are the basic tenets that we hear from our medical office of our officer of health. We need to wear a mask. We need to stay physically distanced. We need to wash our hands. If we're thinking about, do you think I might need a test? I'm just thinking maybe it might be a good idea. I think we can all pretty much come to the conclusion that you probably shouldn't be getting a test right now. 
obviously you're trying to uh, test as many people in, in, in the shortest period of time, trying to come up with the most efficient system in which to do so. Art is testing for those that don't need it really just a false sense of security? Because in the end, we're using these resources that don't really need to be need, uh, used on these people where they could be used more effectively on those that are in those hot spots or key areas. On the other hand, you could go in and line up for an hour or two and get your test and then come out and, you know, within a couple of hours in some way have made contact with someone and then be positive. So, uh, again, yeah. just because just because you're testing negative doesn't mean, well, who I'm free now, does it? You totally nailed it. All that it means is at that particular moment, you didn't have enough viral RNA within your system to be detected. And, that's and you could theoretically walk out of the... Super dangerous. You could theoretically walk out of the building and into the parking lot and get it there. Totally. Yeah. Yeah, and we know. So that that sort of right that sort of right there is a good reason not to take up testing space for someone that perhaps may need it more. Absolutely. Totally. So I think you've read it completely accurately, and I think you've been helpful in terms of getting the message out. I hope we can do as well as you have. Well, thank you so much. Uh, Dr. Tammy Par- or Packer rather, has been with us. Dr. Tammy Packer, Chief, Department of uh, Family Medicine, Hamilton Health Sciences, and St. Joseph's Healthcare. Uh, HamiltonCovidTest.ca, HamiltonCovidTest.ca. That's the website you go to in order to book an appointment. And again, those that have been exposed or showing symptoms uh, or obviously need it in some way of work or, or seeing a loved one, uh, that's the priority right now. Tammy, thank you so much for the time and insight. Good work. Keep it all up and uh, pass on to all your cohorts there that uh, we appreciate all the hard work everyone's doing. Thank you very much. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash specialoffer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash specialoffer. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. All right, we certainly know what's happening. Second wave upon us, uh, numbers in August down below 100. Uh, now we're seeing numbers in Ontario, for example, uh, up to 409 new cases today, 63% of those uh, under the age of 40. And with the second wave upon us is now the time to push the COVID-19 alert app. We remember uh, this came out, uh, I think it was late summer, and uh, I'm not sure how many people jumped on board this. Will that change? As we hit a second wave, let's bring in Dr. Michael Geist, law professor at the University of Ottawa, Ottawa, rather, University of Ottawa, where he holds the Canada Research Chair in Internet and E-Commerce Law and is a member of the Centre for Law, Technology and Society. Michael, thank you for the time. I hope you're doing well. Well, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. So your thoughts on this app, it was announced, I guess, uh, earlier on in the summer. Uh, A few have taken, have downloaded, not so much. Your thought about the appetite for this? Well, I was supportive when the app was introduced, and I remain supportive. Um, I mean, there's a couple of million Canadians that have downloaded it, so I don't think it's a, a trivial number, but obviously the the hope is that for real effectiveness that many more will download it. I think it, I think it's suffered from a number of things. I think the promotions come out of the government's been poor. I think the rollout where it's it's available to anyone, but it only actually functions 
in a limited number of provinces has been, I think, problematic as well. Uh, and I think that there are, for some, lingering concerns about the app, although I think they're largely unfounded. And then I suppose, lastly, it was introduced at a time when I think the public, for the most part, was feeling increasingly comfortable with hmm. where we were at with respect to the pandemic. And now, of course, as we see the numbers grow, I would expect the numbers of people that install the app to grow as well. Uh, I think Ontario was one of the first to jump on board this. You, you talked about certain centres. Who is using this? Who isn't? Uh, so we have it in Ontario. We have it in uh, some of the eastern provinces as well in the Atlantic, in Atlantic Canada. Alberta, which had established its own app and had uh, a fair number of downloads, subsequently announced that it would flip over to this app. But the fact that, that we don't have uniformity here, I think, has been of a problem. And in fact, we've got at least one province, Quebec, which has, I think, a mis- mistake on their part, has said they will not adopt the app. Uh, we we remember uh, Prime Minister, uh, Premier Legault speaking about this, and, and he said he was concerned of security issues and such, uh, but still may look at it. Are you surprised Quebec has been has been late to the game here? Yeah, I think it's, as I say, I think it's a mistake on their part. Um, I think if you take a look at the hearings that they held on the app, I think at the end of the day, I think some of the government members were misled about some of these issues. Um, I should know. This is not. This app is not the be-all and end-all. It's not going to solve the pandemic by any means, and it does not replace some of the other core elements in our toolkit in dealing with this. Everything, of course, from more conventional contact tracing, ubiquitous testing, and of course, social distancing measures and masking and the like. Uh, but nevertheless, it's, it's a, a part of what takes place, and particularly for people who aren't able to work from home and find themselves more actively out in the community. Uh, an app like this can prove very valuable. So maybe we should remind everybody of this. What exactly does this app do? How does it work? Yeah, so it, it's built into your iPhone or into Androids as well, and they need to be relatively newer phones. And so one of the criticisms, and I think it's been a very fair criticism, is that people with some of the old, with older devices may be unable to use this. That's in part because the companies themselves, Apple and Google, uh, essentially have sought to accommodate these kinds of contact tracing apps directly in their operating system that actually increases security and reduces the drain on your battery. Uh, and so there are benefits to it, but the drawbacks are that it means that some with older devices won't be able to use the app. But what it basically does is that it it, it, it takes your device, it uses a Bluetooth signal to identify other devices that have come into close proximity to you uh, and have been there for at least 15 minutes. And so if you're in close proximity for at least 15 minutes, uh, they swap identifiers. And so essentially each phone knows that they've been in proximity to one another. And over time, uh, let's say over a week, you might accumulate a number of these um, these codes. Now, if someone goes and gets tested and finds that they have tested positive, then what takes place is that that person has the ability to enter in a new code to essentially send a notification to all the other devices that have come into proximity 
that in fact so they've been in proximity to someone who has subsequently tested positive uh, for the virus. You don't know who these people are, so there's no personal identification, there's no location tracking, so nobody knows precisely where you are. All it's doing is on an anonymous basis, essentially saying who have you come into contact with, and so that at a later date, if somebody does subsequently test positive, there's the ability to notify them. So if you have the app and say you went and, and got tested and in fact you tested positive, is it up to the user to, in, to input that information into the app? It is. So it's up to the individual who tests positive to right. input it. So there's no one who's doing that on their behalf, and the government is enforcing anybody to do that. Uh, that was, I think, early on identified as a potential concern. Would people be willing to input that information? But That was so, my next question, Michael, is that all of a sudden, oh, my goodness, I've tested positive. Am I going to tell everybody with this app? But then again, that's the whole reason for having it. Well, I think, yes. First, that's the reason to have the app. So if you've taken the step to install it, one would hope right. that you follow through. But right. even beyond that, you aren't actually informing anybody that you have uh, contracted the virus. You're merely informing people that they've come into contact with someone who has. They don't know that it's you, and in fact, you don't know who they are either. And so in some ways, it actually removes some of that potential embarrassment concerns to the extent to which there isn't any is some embarrassment although i don't think there ought to be um, but to the extent to which it's an uncomfortable conversation to have with people to say you know what i've subsequently tested positive the app actually removes some of those kinds of concerns because it does the notifying for you without actually having to identify who you are so how effective would this be if it is up to so much of the user to keep, well, everybody playing by the rules, basically? Um, and what about false readings? All right. Well, we're dependent on, 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 our, on everybody in the community to take right. steps, whether that's wearing masks or social distance and the like. So uh, in some ways, this is just you know, another thing on the pile about things that we're hoping as a community people do. Uh, in order to, to deal more effectively with this virus. Uh, in terms of the effectiveness, I think it really, at this stage, really remains to be seen. Uh, for those that have installed the app, you'll know that once a week you get a notification to let you know whether or not um, there have been any instances recorded. Um, for the most part, you get a notification that that hasn't happened, although they, there have been a number of cases where people have inputted this. And so um, it's, it's not a zero-case situation. There have been instances where people have then inputted the information and the notifications have gone out. Whether that means other people may have uh, had contracted the virus at the same time, of course, we won't know. But, you know, as long as you have a robust testing system, it allows people to err on the side of caution and themselves get tested, knowing that there is some amount of elevated risk. Although note that all of this is really just a proxy for the, the concern that you've been in proximity to someone. We don't really know the full details. I mean, you may have been relatively close to someone, but it was outside and you were facing in different directions. And so the likelihood that this would be an actual risk is very low. Of course, alternatively, it might be that you were sitting directly across from that person at the table having a lengthy conversation, in which case perhaps the uh, risk is a bit higher. Are you expecting an increase in the uptake uh, since we're seeing numbers go up? I think we will. Yes, it's a great question. I think I think we will, but I also think that the, the government has has a role to play here. I mean, I think as with just about any app, not just this app, but just about any app, I mean, marketing and promotion play a, a pretty critical role 
in the kind of uptake that we see. And so in this instance, you know, if the government doesn't step up and educate people about the benefits of the app, both to them and to the broader community, as well as more information on how they've addressed some of the potential concerns and risks, um, it strikes me that it becomes that, that, you know, that we're going to just get small numbers as, as people hear about it and become aware of it. If we want to see more significant uptake, I think we need to see as much as possible universal adoption across provinces in, in the country. And I think we need to see the governments get behind it. Dr. Michael Geist has been with us, a law professor at the University of Ottawa and Canada Research Chair in Internet and E-Commerce Law. Michael, thank you for the time and insight. Much appreciated. Be well. My pleasure. You too. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. Uh, lots to talk about, lots to digest over the last 24, 48 hours as we've had a throne speech and an address by the Prime Minister and all in all of that, uh, increasing numbers in COVID-19 and where once uh, nobody was getting tested, now it seems everyone uh, is getting tested and lineups are incredibly long. To talk more about all of this, Dr. Ahmad Khalid is with us, medical doctor and health policy expert. He is with us now. Ahmad, thanks for the time. Hope you're doing well. Same to you, Scott. Thanks for having me. So as I mentioned, uh, you know, at one time people were saying, go get tested. There's no lineups. These people are standing around doing nothing. Now, after a couple of weeks and bloom, uh, uh, boom, we're seeing a, an advance in, in cases. We're now seeing... Uh, obviously long lineups at testing sites, uh, many blaming the provinces uh, for this, but now we're hearing criticism of the federal government. Are you surprised we're here considering we're six months into this? I'm not surprised that we're here. What, what does surprise me is the back and forward policy direction we're sending out. So I am frustrated that today now we're announcing, the, or the provincial government in Ontario is announcing that testing is only for people who exhibit symptoms or have been in contact to a possible exposure or been alerted by the app and alerting people not to go test today if they want to. That mix back and forward on policy causes confusion to everybody involved. And ideally, we really should be staying away from that. We should be making sure that our communication is clear and to the point and is consistent over time because the mixed signals now, it just, A, it, it makes people lose trust and credibility in our approach to dealing with COVID-19 uh, and also just causes confusion overall. That being said, they say the reason for that is because the quick number of, of uh, the large amount of people that have all of a sudden decided to get tested. Should we have had that capacity in place, uh, considering we're six months in? And, and is that the provinces? Is it the, the, the federal government? Who's, whose responsibility is that? I love that question, Scott, because I think it goes back to the earlier point I've always made on your show, which is that we cannot be reactive. We can't you know, deal with situations as they emerge. We need to prepare accordingly. We need to sit back. And, and we have, as he said today, uh, Ford, he, we have the best experts in Canada thinking about this. Those experts need to be asked, what should we have in place now to prepare? So we don't get to a situation where we're saying to people, go get tested, and then all of a sudden we're overwhelmed by the number of people who are getting tested. We should be already have plans for that. We should have known that the minute we tell people you can get tested if you suspect you have COVID-19. And let's be clear here. I don't think the majority of people who are going to get tested are getting tested for fun. Uh, the test is not a fun mm -hmm. test to do. Nobody yeah. wants to wait in line. People are doing it because uh, they suspect they have symptoms or they're worried they might have it. And so that is a healthy approach. We have to be careful about the messaging we're giving out the public. Getting tested is a, is a, is a responsibility that, that is serious, and people who are doing it 
should be, you know, uh, commended for it, not penalized. And I'm not trying to say here that the government is penalizing people, but now that we're shifting the policy to only testing people who are, who are uh, showing symptoms, we're sending the message for people who are trying to do the right by getting tested not to do so. So I'm concerned for that. That does concern me. Why not more testing? Why can't we do more testing? Well, I guess we're going to see that with, with uh, the pharmacies open up on Friday, but, but why can't we do more? Well, I think the government is trying to do more. They, they are working hard. They're trying to take out different approaches. This is not a criticism on the government whatsoever. It's mm-hmm. a matter of uh, an appeal to think ahead, to always be one step ahead of this virus and ahead of this pandemic. So now we're allowing pharmacies to get tested. We need rapid testing out. And I know that the premier uh, announced today that they're waiting for Health Canada to approve rapid testing that can be provided in uh, home settings and other settings. That's a, a positive step towards this direction. But let's keep doing more. Let's think ahead now with the flu season coming, schools reopened. What else can we be doing? Is there a way to reduce that number? They've hired more than, I think the number was about 500 more people to to increase capacity in terms of testing. That's great. Let's do more of that. We've certainly seen a change in tone of all leaders in the last few days. What message do you have to the public? The The message I have to the public is, you know, I always try to sort of take the stand of the public because I am one of the public and I see that there is, you know, we, we're very quick at blame gaming. We're very quick at saying this person's at fault and that person is at fault. And it's all the young people, Ahmad. <laughs> well, I see exactly. And that's not the message I'm trying to put out there. What I'm trying to say is that we're all trying to figure it out. Everybody's getting at this with the best intention. And with that in mind, let's always think collectively, what else can we be doing? We should be continuously asking ourselves, what else can I do to get ahead of this virus? Because the reality is, COVID-19 is not over and will stay with us for quite some time. Is it time for the public to take one step back? Is this a reality check for us? In the summer, we saw the cases down below 100. Uh, Okay, as long as I wear a mask, we can go out and do what we want. We're all good. Uh, Have we become lax here? And is this a a wake-up call for us? Absolutely. I think you're spot on. You nailed it with what you just said. This is a wake-up call. This is Sort of, you know, we will continuously have those kind of wake-up calls where we will think the numbers are low, we can resume some part of normal life. This is just a reminder that, hold up, COVID-19 is still here. Let's re- let buckle down and rethink again. I'll tell you on a personal level now, I am thinking twice before going out to a restaurant sitting in a patio. I want to support local businesses, but I'm also mm-hmm. very conscious that COVID numbers are high now. So it's just like how you check the weather every day to know whether you should go outside and play outside. Hmm. We should be checking the numbers every day. When the numbers are high, we stay indoors. Another uh, point I wanted to ask you about, Ahmad, is that uh, obviously here we are 28 weeks in as opposed to the first four or five weeks in. Uh, New cases are up to those early levels, but deaths are not. Um, What does that say, the fact that the new cases are up, but we're not seeing the deaths rise as quickly as we did the first stage? The one, the main reason is that we're increasing testing. So testing is one thing and death rate is another, right? So we're, we're being able to detect more people who have COVID-19. That doesn't always translate. Not everybody who gets COVID-19, the majority of people who get COVID-19 will not need hospitalization. Therefore, we will not see an increase in the number of deaths there. And also our health systems have been adaptive and resilient. So we've done a great job of strengthening our health systems and we need to continue doing that and supporting the capacity of our healthcare workers to address the really severe cases that might lead to that. Uh, testing give us a false sense of security. In other words, well, I just got a test. I'm negative, so I'm good to go. When theoretically, you could walk out of the testing center and pick it up. Correct. And so that's essentially the idea. So 
getting a test does not mean that you can just stop caring about COVID-19, stop wearing your fast, uh, mask or social distancing. No, on the contrary, testing just tells me that you are safe to others around you, but you must continue uh, practicing public health interventions and advice of our health advisors. Dr. Ahmad Khalid has been with us, medical doctor and health policy expert. Ahmad, as always, thank you so much for the time. Much appreciated. Be well. Thank you, Scott. Thank you. The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on 900 CHML.